This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. My name is Jeff Heiser. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. It's so good to have you guys, particularly if you are visiting. Um, we are in a sermon series on the book of 1 John, and we're going to be looking at uh, the second half of chapter 3 today. 1 John was written by the Apostle John while he lived in Ephesus, and he, uh, it's kind of a letter, kind of a sermon, we're calling it a sermon letter. And um, John is writing this, past, he's re- this pastoral sermon letter to this group of churches that he wants to care for, that he wants to know the love of God and to be assured of their faith in Jesus Christ. So yeah, we're going to be in chapter 3 today. Something that's been on my mind a lot lately is my use of technology, and uh, particularly my cell phone, and how it's just affecting me, affecting my relationships and my productivity and all these sorts of things, my ability to concentrate. I've like, been really thinking about it a lot, and it's actually something that's been talked a lot about in kind of the public forum. Lots of newspapers are writing articles about the, the use of technology, and it's how, how it's affecting us. We don't really know because we're really at the front lines of this thing, but we definitely know it's starting to affect our psychology a little bit, starting to affect our emotions a little bit. We don't quite know what the long-term effects will be. We'll see in probably 50 years. We'll look back and have an idea. But everybody's writing about it, and I was reading this past week about this article in the Wall Street Journal, and about they did a study of how social media is affecting teenage girls particularly. And one of the things that it's doing that they found is that it's creating a whole generation of really lonely young women. Um, The the article said that that social media works against basic developmental skills like physical, cognitive, relational. Girls sleep with their phones and they react to every notification. They collect um, likes instead of friends in real life. It says, um, in a sense, modern girls are never truly alone and never truly with others, right? The social media gives them a sense of relationships, but it's not real interaction. It's mediated through um, technology. So these girls, the study found, they're so unbelievably connected, more than anyone else ever has been in history. They're connected to other people, yet they are so horribly isolated and alone. Social media, it's right, it's supposed to make the world smaller to connect us, to draw us closer together, but it's actually driving, it's driving a wedge between us. It's making it actually harder to connect with each other, driving us further into isolation, and we don't necessarily, I don't think we need to help, right? Our world is hopelessly isolated. Our, ho- our world is lonely. Our world is desperately in need of connection. Did you know that the... Um, that England has a minister of loneliness. Like, they have an official government position and strategy to combat loneliness, which is such an epidemic in England that they have an official government position who combats loneliness. It's crazy. Our, our, neighbor, our world is just, it's isolated, it's lonely. And the gospel actually has something to offer. I think 1 John actually has something to offer to an isolated world. Last week, 
we looked at the first half of chapter 3, and the Apostle John describes God as our Father and we as His children, right? There's this family of God. God has adopted us into this family and made us His, right? The people around us, to your right and your left, they are sons and daughters and brothers and sisters, right? And this family is called to bring, to incarnate, to bring to earth the love of God the Father, the love that has made us a family we are then to share with each other and to share with the world outside. Ray Cortese, um, this pastor in, um, in Florida, he says that, he puts it like this, love is the family ethos. Ethos is kind of the, your displayed character, what the world sees you, how the world sees you and what he's saying is that this family, what we display, what comes out of our pores is love. The Father's love overflowing out of us, His people. Our passage today talks about that family ethos. Our passage today talks about the love of God and how it's supposed to shape us, how, we, how it shapes how we interact in this community inside the church. That's what we're going to talk about today, the family ethos of love in the midst of a lonely world. So, okay, if you're willing and able, please stand with me out of reverence for God's Word. Guys, this is the most important part of the whole sermon. We are hearing from God Himself. So, if you would, 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, hear now the reading of God's Word. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will abide forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. Okay. We're going to be looking at three different things from this passage today. First, um, love the family. Secondly, love like Christ. And third, love with confidence. So, love the family. How, do, do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family of God? That's my first point. Okay. Love the family. Part of the application process to become 
a CrossFit gym affiliate. That means that you're a gym owner and you want the CrossFit brand on your, you know, on your, on your sign. Is you have to write this essay describing what CrossFit means to you. And um, maybe you wouldn't actually won't be surprised by this, but the, the language that these guys use is actually really religious about CrossFit, okay? So this is what they say. CrossFit means, uh, CrossFit to me simply means family. CrossFit is family. A very hardworking family, of course, persistent in the creation of a larger, stronger family. Or this one's even better. Um, I want people to know that CrossFit truly is for everyone. I want to put it all on the line and open an affiliate because I believe in every part of CrossFit. And I want to share that with other people. Right? It's evangelism, right? For CrossFit. How do we get to a point where gyms are doing evangelism and we see gym membership is such like a defining characteristic of who we are that, they become, that it's our gym that is our family. What's happened to our society that that's the case? It's pretty extreme. Well, actually, I think it has something to do with that Wall Street Journal article about the teenage girls and their disconnectedness. Because as we've grown more disconnected from larger society, I mean, after Hurricane Maria, everyone was shocked at how many kids actually lived in their neighborhoods. Because they, they all came out. They didn't have anything to do. So they all came outside and played. So as we've like retreated because of technology, also other reasons, but retreated into our own little worlds, as we've retreated from larger society, we've actually been able to find smaller and smaller groups that we can identify with and fit into. Right? And so these little smaller group identities, like CrossFit, for example, they've grown smaller and smaller, and we've developed these little lifestyle enclaves where it's just me and people who are like me and who like the same things that I like. Right? The people that I'm comfortable with. And we make these communities based on like this one little part of our personality. We like to work, at, work out in similar ways that these other people do. And then those become our community, those become our families. And, and what happens is that we end up living our whole lives in echo chambers with only people that think like we do and are comfortable with the same things. And so what happens is we're never actually confronted. Our communities look exactly like us. They're made in our own image. And what do they do? Well, they end up just leaving us alone. They affirm us in our isolation. They leave us just exactly how we are, and we never grow. We never change. We never actually get confronted. We never enter into real relationships because everything about our world looks exactly like us. And of course, this isn't just happening in, you know, uh, online chat rooms and yoga studios and golf clubs and gym memberships, CrossFits. It's actually happening in the church, right? We, we pick and choose our church based, the church we go to based on how it fits our extremely long list of preferences about music or preaching. And then we come, and once a week we come here and we sit among people who happen to have the same list of preferences for church as us, then we go home and that's it, right? That, the only thing that holds us together is that we happen to like the same church and that's it. 
Our churches are being made into our own image. But in contrast to that, the Apostle John, he has something very different in mind for the church. He says in verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Or look at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. John is saying, listen, you must learn to love your brothers and sisters. You must learn to love the family of God. You must learn to love the church, right? He has a, he has a vision for Christian life that is much bigger than showing up on Sunday morning with people that are like you. Much, much bigger. And so the question is, do you, I mean, do you love the church? Is, it, is, is church something that you just show up, you know, maybe we live in this world where you show up once every four weeks and it's considered regular, you know? It's like the church that we, we happen to like, the church that happens to, to look a lot like us for one moment on Sunday morning. No, what John is calling us to is to love it and to a, a whole-bodied love. He's not saying, what are your preferences? He's saying your entire being, emotional, spiritual, physical, needs to be given to the church and given to loving the church. It is a holistic thing that God is calling us to, not something that is disconnected out there, just what we happen to like for the moment. One of the defining characteristics of the people of God is that they love the people of God, that they love the family of God. St. Cyprian, he was um, third century uh, church father, actually really influential, although we don't know his name much anymore. He said that no one can have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. Do you love the church? Is this where you find life? And I know, listen, I know that the church is messed up. Of course it is, because it's full of people like you and like I who are really messed up. And yes, you will get hurt, and sometimes things aren't going to go quite like you would have them planned. But do you love the church? It's not, it, it, the church is not full of people that are in our exact image, but it's full of people that are being made into the image of Christ. And that is who, that is who God is calling us to love. People that at times are really, really different than us. People that we butt heads with. People that hurt us. But church is not some lifestyle enclave. It is our life. It is everything. It is our family. You know, Jesus actually, he, he makes this really interesting promise in Mark chapter 10 um, about the church. He says um, in Mark chapter 10, truly I say to you that there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake. He says, it, there, there's no one who has not left their you know, th very precious things about who they are and what they love for my sake. Who will not, and hang on, where, where are we? Where are we? Sorry, my bad. Uh, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this life, in this time, houses 
and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. He's saying, if, if, you, will, if you will give yourself fully, if you will set aside your self-interest, if you will set aside your preferences and give yourself to, um, to me and to, my, and to the gospel, I will provide for you the things that you leave behind. That's what he's talking about when he says houses and brothers. He's talking about the people around you, the people that are sitting right to your left and your right. These are the things that Christ promises in his church, a whole community of people. You will not be left alone. That's what he promises us. One of my, um, one of my favorite thinkers right now is this um, uh, Oxford professor named Sarah Williams. And she actually sees our love, she's kind of saying that our love for each other will be the best witness that we could possibly have in a lonely world. She says, um, how we live together is what we have to offer the world. How we live together is what we have to offer the world. Listen, it is not just teenage girls that are lonely and anxious and isolated and depressed and feeling all alone. It is everyone around us. It is all over the place. Our culture has left people unbelievably isolated, and they need to be loved. And our ability to love one another will be the greatest testimony to the gospel in a world that is not loved. People need a home. And how can we be a home for them? How can we be a home for the world if we are not home for each other? What, God, what John is calling us to is to learn to live and to love those whom the love of God the Father himself, those to whom that love has committed us, God's love has committed us to one another. We must love each other, loving the people, loving what we're doing, loving the family life. We must love, learn to love the church. That's what John is calling us to. But of course, uh, what are we talking about when we say love? Because there are lots of definitions of love. What kind of love are we talking about? Well, we're called to love like Jesus Christ himself. I'm at this stage in life where all my friends on social media are having babies. And of course, the, my you know, Instagram feed is just flooded with millions of children. And um, it's great. Um, but I was flipping through my Instagram, uh, whatever, the other day, and I came, someone, uh, an acquaintance of mine had recently had a baby, and she was posting some like inspirational quotes about parenting and motherhood and this sort of thing on there. And um, this is the one that I particularly stuck out to me. She said, uh, it was something along the lines of, what, what if for an entire generation, instead of saying, stop crying, moms and dads said, I'm here. What if for an entire generation, instead of saying, stop crying, moms and dads said, I'm here. And in some ways, this is a beautiful sentiment, right? I mean, she, she wants to connect, to be empathetic, to be there for her children. Of course, it's, it's beautiful. We certainly need much, much more of that in this world. But the truth is that sometimes kids are bad 
right? Sometimes they, like they're, I mean, sometimes their crying is like straight up rebellion and manipulation and selfishness. And if your only lens through which to like correct, deal with that is approval, then you're going to, you're, you're not going to have any way to deal with those like darker tendencies that our kids have, right? But our world is just awash with this idea that to love somebody is to approve of them in every way, right? The whole language we hear of the language of compatibility all the time, the language of compatibility says that if, like, if, if this person will accept me as I am today and not ask me to change anything, then we can love each other. Then this could actually work out. Love is getting your hands off. It's unquestioningly allowing people to do or be whatever they want to be. The modern definition of love calls us to inaction. It's interesting, right? To inaction, to backing away, letting be. Right? A, a real community or like a real friend is someone that completely approves of everything we do. But of course, this is really difficult because guess what? People fight. People disagree. They argue. And if you just jump out of that because, of, hey, they're not being a true friend because they don't let me be who I want to be. Like if, they, if the whole world does that, what do, you leave, what do you end up with? A lot of people that have no real friends. And they're incredibly lonely because no one will just approve of everything they do. Leaves us incredibly Lonely, but John, and actually our Father's definition of love, calls us not to inaction, but to action. Look at verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What does love look like? In John's worldview, love is defined personified and exemplified by Jesus Christ himself. The whole passage, right, verses 11 through 24, a passage today is in some ways John explaining something that Jesus said on the night before he was arrested and, and, and crucified. He's in the upper room with his disciples and he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus is saying, I am about to do that. I'm about to lay down my life for my friends, for you guys in this room, because I love you. That is what love looks like. And that is the love that John is calling us to as we learn to love one another. To be willing to put our very lives on the line for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that is, that's, that's a high, high standard. But the reality is, listen, it is um, extremely unlikely that we will ever even have a remote opportunity to put our lives on the line for another brother or sister in Christ. It's that's like, that is just not the world we live in. It's the world John is writing to, but not the world we live in. So what can we do? Well, actually, uh, John tells us. Uh, verse 17, 
If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So what can we do? Well, we can love sacrificially through generosity with one another. Listen, I am certain that every single person in this room has disposable income of some sort. What are we, what are we doing with that? We, I, I know that we have some free time, right? I know that we have some space in our homes. Like, are we willing to, to love our brothers and sisters by giving sacrificially to them? That is what he's calling us to. We're not going to have to give up our lives, let's be honest, for our brothers and sisters. But that doesn't mean that we cannot love sacrificially one another. You know, most of us know um, the sense of dislocation and loneliness um, that hits when you move to Puerto Rico. Most of us have moved to Puerto Rico and said, what in the world? I don't know anyone. My friends and my family are in the States. I don't know. I don't understand this culture. I don't understand how to drive. All these sorts of things, right? It is, it is dislocating. It is lonely. And guess what? We know people in our communities that are desperately in need of a friend. You know, we, we all know from moving here, we know the people that say like, hey, you know, let me know if I can do anything and then never follow up. And then we also know the people that or say, hey, let me know if you need anything, and then they begin to almost anticipate our needs as they come, right? They they actually act. They actually care. It's not just some nice platitude about, oh, hey, you know, they're a nice person. No, these are people that are actually willing to step in and meet our needs as we need them before we even know that we need them. There's a world of difference. And John calls this in verse 18, Not loving in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. John is calling us to active love, actually acting on the behalf of one another, just like Christ did for us. Active love, it always costs something. It is inherently self-sacrificial. It is inherently self-sacrificial. But of course, we do it, and we can do it. Because we are children of a God who loves us so much that He acted in history on our behalf. Because He loved us, He sacrificed Himself on a cross for us. John calls us to just follow, to follow that example, follow the example of Christ as He did for us. That's what love looks like. Okay, so love the family. Love like Christ. And thirdly, love with confidence. Listen, one of the reasons why I know that personally, I, and, and I think many of us just really struggle to love people really well, is, um, is insecurity. Um, we are so disconnected from each other that um, we're kind of left to wallow in our own insufficiencies. And it can be really daunting to open ourselves up and share those with other people. Because that's what love does. It's always, it's always vulnerable. It's always, you always have to give something of yourself. You always have to expose yourself in some way in order to, to love well, to receive love, to give love. It's incredibly 
vulnerable. And if we are hopelessly insecure, it's going to be really, really hard to do that. But look at, verse, look at verses 19 and 20 with me. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Listen, what we need in kind of an insecure, lonely world, we need a solid foundation of non-anxiety. We need a solid foundation of non-anxiety and we can find that in the love of God. We often feel insecure in God's love, right? And justly so. I mean, maybe like we look at ourselves and we say, well, why in the world would God, God love me? And oftentimes I, that's, that's a pretty good assessment of ourselves. But what does John say? He says that there is a voice that is more powerful than the voice of doubt and insecurity that you have in your head that's just telling you that, no, 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 can't, God can't love me. There is a voice that is more powerful than that voice, and it is the voice of God himself saying, I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my family. If you're visiting with us today, you'll see um, there in your bulletin, uh, what we call the assurance of pardon, something we do absolutely every single week. And every week, we, it's always God's Word. And what does it do? It assures us of pardon. It promises us. It makes certain that we know the pardon of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, right? And and what it says is, like, yes, you are, you are selfish. Yes, you don't trust. Yes, you are, you, are, you are just riddled with sin. And yet God, because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of his great love for us, says, I promise you that you are pardoned, that you are forgiven, that you are part of my family. And that love is the solid foundation upon which we need to build our lives. That is the solid, like the, the foundation of non-anxiety upon which we can build lives of love, lives of radical, self-giving, self-sacrificial love. The security that we have in the Father's love frees us to the, then go love boldly and self-sacrificially. How do we lean into this? Well, one of the things that John mentions here in verse 22 is prayer. Um, one of the reasons that we don't feel much confidence in the Father's love is that we don't spend much time with Him. Um, something, you know, the, the, the spiritual disciplines, these things that have been practiced for 2,000 years are really kind of struggling in the modern world. You know, praying, reading your Bible, going to church, tithing, these things that Christians have always, 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 always done. And we're kind of too distracted to do it anymore. So one, a pastor that I, I'm, I've been listening to a little bit says that the iPhone is more dangerous to Christianity than secularism ever was or will be. Like, we, like I get up in the morning and I look at my phone. I don't pray. Like God, John is calling us to spend time with our Father who loves us. If you doubt the Father's love, spend time with Him. Make it a priority. 
The spiritual disciplines, there's a reason why Christians have always done them, because we need them. They give us life. They help us, they reassure us of who God is and how much He loves us. Well, the second thing, and this isn't um, normally considered one of the spiritual disciplines, but I actually think that John would really consider it one. And that's that we, once again, we spend time learning how to love one another. If you want to know the Father's love, you need to work on loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're one of the ways in which God ministers to us, one of the ways that God convinces us of who He is and how much He has cared. He cares for us. We must learn to love one another. This is absolutely crucial. John says that this is, like, this is so, so, so important for the Christian life. Not because, we don't do this because, you know, it's just some, another thing on our list of to-dos for the Christian life. It's because God wants us to flourish. He wants to give us joy, and we can do that. He wants to give us a solid foundation of non-anxiety so that we can truly be free to love one another. And if we do, He promises that His Holy Spirit will minister to us. He will be a salve to our loneliness. He will convince us of the Father's love. He will reassure us that our Father has not forgotten us. He has not left us alone. He has not left us isolated. He loves us intimately, deeply, individually, collectively, powerfully. And we will know the Father's love, and His love will overflow out of us as we love one another before our watching world. The world needs a community of people that love each other sacrificially, radically, like our Father has loved us. All right, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we, uh, Lord, we so often doubt your goodness. We doubt your care for us. But God, we know um, the, what Christ did for us on the cross is a guarantee of your love like nothing we could ever imagine or f- fully plumb the depths of. Lord, you love your people. And we praise you for that. God, convince us of your love. Allow us to to love one another the way that you have loved us. In your name I pray, amen.